Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Welcome back to our study of the book of Colossians. If you want to make your way over there to chapter 2, we're going to dip backwards into chapter 1 for a minute, but then we'll head right on into chapter 2. Last week, we left off with Paul's declaration of the goal of teaching and preaching. And I want to pause here and just marinate for just a second here. Let's look at at Colossians 1.28. Paul writes him, he's talking about Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Listen, the goal of teaching and preaching God's word each Sunday, the objective of coming to one of the Bible studies that we have here each week, and the point of being in the word daily on your own as you're reading the Bible and studying it and and feasting on it for yourselves is to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and then to take that knowledge, combine it with a prayerful uh, passion and practice, and over time, grow hearts of wisdom that know God's will, able to do battle in a world that is becoming increasingly uh, hostile to Christ and Christians. This world is not getting easier to live in. It's getting more difficult, it seems like, by by every week. Remember, wisdom is knowledge applied correctly and consistently in life. That's wisdom. Being able to take God's word and assimilate it into uh, the situations that you face each and every day to be able to take that and, and wisely apply it correctly. Paul said that we are to train ourselves and then others to become perfected or mature followers of Jesus Christ. We're not to remain little babies. Now, when you came to Christ, that, that day you came to Christ, you were born again. And the chances of you knowing you know, everything you needed to know, I don't know anyone that has done that except Jesus Christ maybe, but I'm going to tell you that that it is a process of learning for us to grow. Now, Paul would visit churches like Colossae and and others, and occasionally he would show up, and he he might have um, taught them all these things maybe a year or two previously, but he shows back, back up, and they've forgotten all of it. And he's, and he's frustrated, and he writes, listen, I taught you all these things. I gave you the, the, the basics, the foundation on which you were to build, and everything you needed. But here, two years later, I have to go back and teach you the first things I taught you two years ago. Why aren't you growing in your faith? And that's what we are to do. We're to grow in our faith so that we grow individually, but then we can turn around and we can give a, a helping hand to somebody else that just came to Christ. So what does a mature follower of Christ look like? Well, Paul lists them in Colossians here, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Number one, a mature Christian. Mature Christians are encouraging people. They're encouraging people. 
Verse 1, for I want you to know what a great conflict, or, or in the Greek, a, a deep concern that Paul had, what a, what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. Many of these churches had never met Paul. In the example of the people he's writing to today, most of the church wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. I mean, he could walk right in. Nobody would know who he was by faith, by face. So he's writing them this letter. He had led people to Christ in Ephesus years before this, and he had, he had taught them, he had discipled them, and he had encouraged them, and then they left to go back home, which for them was Colossae. And so they went back to Colossae, and they planted this church. And then many came to Christ, and the church began to grow. But the, the church and the new members there and the new believers had never met Paul. And so Paul says, look, for those of you that, that haven't seen my face, I pray for you. I'm writing to you that their hearts, that your hearts may be encouraged by my writing. Now, the Greek word for encouragement here means with heart. The mature follower of Christ is not just a person who has a strong and godly heart and passion for their own work, but they also have a heart and passion and encouragement to those around them by speaking godly encouragement into the lives of others. These are the people you want in your life, especially in a crisis. These are the folks who will speak God's love and truth and encouragement into your life in difficult times. I can tell you that uh, these last, this last month has been a, a doozy for Debbie and I. Many of you know that. But a month ago, she got COVID again and, and um, was going through that. She was struggling, and it, it became quite difficult for her. And one morning, uh, she had a stroke right in front of my eyes. And I, ca- I literally caught her in my arms. And, and um, we went through this whole uh, you know, procedure and situation and this medical I drove her to the hospital. We were worshiping the Lord on the way down there, and I was praying over her. And I got her to the emergency room, and, and then they took her right away, and, and um, I tried to, to go in with her. And I kept hearing people tell me that I couldn't go in there, but I just kept going with her and um, tried to push my way in. I wasn't leaving my wife. And uh, suddenly came across a nurse that was bigger and stronger than I was. And she got in my face and says, you're not coming in. You take another step. And I said, okay, all right, all right. And so I, I walked back out and, and got in my Jeep, and I just sat there looking at the hospital emergency room, and I prayed. <laughs> I was praying for her. And word got out, and, and people started sending texts, and people started uh, you know, blowing up um, uh, Facebook, and I, put out, I started putting things out so they could pray. And I tell you, people were encouraging. So many of you have encouraged us through all of this. And thank God that he's bringing Debbie back. Um, at a glance, you wouldn't know anything was wrong with her now. He's really uh, given her so much uh, back that she had lost for about a month. But um, praise God for that. But we received encouragement from you guys. I'll tell you, a mature believer, that's what they do. That's what we do. We encourage each other. Listen, if you're, if you're going through something, I hope I, I get to encourage you. It might be with a word. It might be with a dinner. It might be with you know, an email or something. I hope I encourage you. And I'm telling you that I received that from you, and I can't wait to offer it to you if and when you need that someday. 
But I'll tell you this, in order to to be able to speak encouraging words to someone in need, you must know uh, the word of encouragement for yourself, God's word, and be able to speak it with wisdom, applying it to the given situation in front of uh, in front of you correctly and, and with love. There's a story about encouragement from a century ago, and I thought it went pretty well with uh, our story today. There were four boys. Now, this I liked it right away because I'm one of four boys in my family. My mom had four boys. I think uh, in heaven she's going to get a crown just for that, uh, along with everything else, what we put her through. What my other three brothers did, I was actually an angel. They, the other three were unbelievable. But um, there were four boys, all brothers, walking along the banks of a river and playing as they went. And like most boys do, their idea of fun was to, to go as far into danger as they could. And it wasn't long before one of them fell in a place uh, back in, into this water where there was a spinning vortex that, that dragged the young man down to the bottom of the river. The boy could not swim, but his brother, who could, plunged in behind him to rescue him. And he got uh, a hold of this of his brother's shirt, and he began to to drag him towards the embankment. But he lost; he kept losing his footing. Then another brother, catching hold of a branch, stretched his body out its entire length so that the his brother could could catch his ankle. So he had one brother's ankle in his left hand, and in his right hand, he had his other brother's shirt, and, and, and they were dragging uh, their brother back out of the river and, they, and to safety. When they got home, they all began to tell their father this story of the near tragic tale that had taken place, and, and they all began to speak at once, and the father says, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I'll give you all the time we need here, but let me hear you one at a time. And turning to the oldest brother, the father said, when your brother fell into the river, what did you do to rescue him? Well, father, he started, at first I was paralyzed with fear. I just stood on the embankment for some seconds, trembling about his, over his safety. Then I recovered myself, and I, and I dove in, and I caught hold of his, his T-shirt, and I, I started trying to bring him back to shore. Then facing the, the next, the second oldest boy, he said, and what did you do to rescue your brother? He said, well, dad, you know, I can't swim, but when I, when I saw they could not reach the shore, I, I grabbed onto a limb and, and, and I stuck my leg out and, and I just tried to help him and, and he grabbed my ankle and, and, and we all pulled him into the shore. Now there only remained the youngest, a little fellow of four years old. And turning to him, the father knelt down and he said, now, what did you do to aid in the rescue? The little boy looked up at his dad and he said, oh, father, I I couldn't do anything. I just stood on the bank and and clapped my hands and I shouted, way to go, bring him in, bring him in. (laughs) The father smiled from ear to ear and he said, yes, well done, my son. I'm so proud of all you boys, exclaimed the father. And I thought about that. You know, for the last month, that's what you guys have been doing. Some of you dove in head first right with us there. Others that, that couldn't do that, hey, you, you reached out in so many different ways. And I tell you, at one point, um, I, I estimated there were some uh, eight or 900 people actively praying for us and actively sending us emails and Facebook posts and, and, and texts. 
And, and one guy just made me uh, laugh out loud uh, in the, uh, in the uh, Jeep as I sat in front of the hospital. He said, Pastor, how does it feel to have more people praying for your wife than for the President of the United States? <laughs> That's not a statement. I don't know what to think about that, but it did make it. I had to, I almost spit my coffee out. I was laughing so. Listen, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. He didn't say, you know, some of you will have trouble. Most of you will have trouble. He said to every one of us in this world, when you have trouble, all of us are going to fall into hardship, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and usually all three at the same time. In John chapter 13, 34, Jesus said to his disciples just hours before his crucifixion, he brought all the guys together. You remember this in the upper room? He's, and he's on his, just before he walks out to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he, he gathers them all and he goes, this is what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, how did Christ show his love for us? Well, I could give you a dozen ways, but let me tell you, I go to number one right away, is that he willingly went to the cross for you and for me. Nothing forced him to the cross. The Romans weren't, you know, he wasn't on the run. He walked right into it. He says, no one takes my life. I lay it down freely. That was his mission all along. With such a great love like that, Jesus said, now you guys, us, the church, fellow believers, we're to love each other like I've loved you. You know, lay your life down for someone else to help them if you can. Some of us have the tools to jump in right away and help a person in trouble. Others of us can lend a helping hand. But all of us, like the littlest boy in the story, can be a, a cheerleader, a prayer warrior, an encourager in order to help everyone else in the rescue effort. Amen? Amen. This is the church. Welcome to the church. This is what we do here. Listen, never before in history has it been so easy to encourage each other. You can pick up the phone and call somebody. You can text somebody. You can email somebody. And you can use that old service where you write on paper the words with an ink pen, and you can mail it to them. It's so easy to be an encourager these days in the middle of somebody's crisis. And I can tell you firsthand, that was a great, you guys did a great job. We were so encouraged. And the letters that did come to us that you left in a basket out front, sat next to Debbie's uh, bed and just read them to her, and she cried. I didn't. I, my eyes water suddenly at times. I didn't cry. No, I cried along with her because we felt your love. We felt your, your prayers for us. Mature Christians are encouraging people. And here's number two. Mature Christians are unifying people. They're unifiers. You know them right away. Paul said being, in verse two, being knit together in love. You and I are to be knit together in the love of Jesus Christ. The mature Christ follower is one who seeks to bring people together whenever there is conflict in the church or other relationships. Too many Christians get upset over something and rather than fix it, they just leave the church. 
I've talked to too many people that say, oh, I don't go to church anymore. Oh, did you used to go to church? Yeah, what happened? Well, I got hurt there, and so I left, and I got mad, and I left. But encouraging Christians, they're always reaching out to try to draw the other person back and say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. Let's work through this. It's like the man who was stranded all alone on a deserted island who was rescued. His rescuers asked him what the three structures were that he had built on this little island. Three buildings seemed perplexing for just one man. He said, oh, yeah, I'll explain. Well, that that one over there is my house. That's where I lived. And and the middle one, uh, well, that's my church. And, And this third one over here is the church I used to go to before my feelings got hurt. That's funny right there. Come on. But too many of us do that. We leave a church. Well, I got, you know, I didn't like the, the, I got offended by this or that or the other thing. And so I'm going to start looking again. I've talked to people that, that have been here for years and they're still looking for their home church because no church is perfect, just like the people in it aren't perfect. We all have flaws. We all make mistakes. We all uh, have a sin nature that we do battle with. And, and when that happens, too often we see people within the church stirring up trouble when they should be stirring unity between people. That's why the mature believer right away steps into an argument and goes, hey, hey, let's, let's talk about this. You know, what does the word say? Let, let, let's, let's be unified here. Troublemakers, on the other hand, are those that perceive a wrong, correctly or incorrectly, but rather than go to the other person and seek unity through clarification and grace, they go to others first and seek together a posse so they can attack this other person that they think wronged them. To stay unified, we all got to be on the same page, right? And that page is the Word of God. Matthew 18 says, go one-on-one and talk to this person. Don't go and talk behind his back. So, you know, when that happens, I hope all of us are saying, hey, wait a minute, before you tell me this story about how Billy Bob hurt you over here, have you gone to Billy Bob and, and told him that you're hurt? I had a guy one time tell me, I, uh, after two years, I thought he had left the church uh, down in San Diego. One day he walked up and I said, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. And he, he looks down and he goes, well, I, I, you really made me mad. I said, well, how did I do that? He said, well, you know, you, you said you had some work at your, or um, you asked how much it was to do something at your house and I told you it'd be about this much. And then a year later, you hired someone else to do it. I barely remembered the conversation. I said, oh, I'm sorry if I offended you. And he goes, yeah, I I realized that was kind of silly and childish. I said, can I tell you a story, though? The guy that did the work was an unsaved guy. And I got to talk about the Lord to him. He's coming to church. He's not saved yet, but I see him here once a month. And he just kind of gets this ouch look on his face. And he says, yeah, my bad. I'm back. And I said, great. But, you know, you go to the person first, you know, instead of of thinking the worst thing about them, Matthew 18 says, go one-on-one and reconcile yourself to your brother. Listen, the godly and mature believer seeks to win the brother back through clarifying truth and grace and assuming the best and speaking in love. I'm not suggesting that we ignore this. I'm suggesting that we do what God's word tells us to do. We're to be unifiers wherever we go. Why would we want to hand Satan 
the very weapons for him to, to use against us. We got enough enemies outside the wall, Satan and the demons that he's, all that they're doing. We don't need to attack each other. We got to support each other and, and be unified. The mature Christian is a unifier, not one that pursues revenge, especially among the forever family. Number one, mature Christians are encouraging people. Number two, mature Christians are unifying people. And here's number three, mature Christians are rich people. Now, before you assume the bad thing there, let me explain what rich is here, okay? Verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged. Yep, we talked about that. That's number one. Being knit together in love, yep, to where to be unified and attaining to all riches, Paul says. Now, Paul, Paul has already brought up the idea of attaining the riches that are found uh, in God and a relationship through him. Just a few verses before, back in Colossians 1.27, he said this, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did you know that when you prayed to receive Christ... If you've done that, if you've repented and turned away from your life and said, God, I don't want to go this way. This is a, this is a meaningless life. I want what you've done for me. I want what, what, what the pastor talked about, how your son died on a cross to forgive me. I want that. If you've done that, then you have the riches uh, that God has offered every believer. And they're amazing. Too many Christians today are living like spiritual, bankrupt, and indigent people when the riches of God have made them, uh, been made available to them. Why would the world want anything to do with people who live like indigent Christians? You know, we ought to be the people that they look at and go, why are you so happy all the time? You know, well, I have the Lord. Let me share this with you. I have hope. What do you mean you have hope? Don't you watch the news well, not as much anymore. I read my Bible more. Let me tell you, there, there's hope for you. We ought to be the people the world looks at and goes, wow, you're odd, but tell me about this hope that you have. Listen, to become a child of the king is to become wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. Gone are the questions as to why you're here. Gone is the fear of death and what comes in the afterlife. Let me tell you, that's the number one fear monger out there right now. The world is so afraid to catch this virus and die because they don't know what's going to happen next. And you know, if, we were, if that was us, we would feel the same way. If I didn't know what was going to happen after death, I'd be real concerned about it. Arrived is, are the answers to the purpose in your life. Arrived is the promise of life and a relationship with God. Arrived is your Savior's love and peace that surpasses all understanding. Every reason we can have we can have peace that surpasses it, even in the midst of this crazy world that we're living in right now. But if we're not careful to create a heart of remembrance and thanksgiving, we tend to drift backwards into our own life where we were bankrupt. We can't forget whose we are and what he's given us. Don't ever forget that. It's important that regularly we remember to look back and go, God, you've brought us so far. Debbie and I do that sometimes. We just sit there and we'll name you 20 things. Remember when God did this? Remember when we got to Idaho and, and we had 500 bucks in the bank and God gave us this you know, million-dollar property for nothing? 
Yeah, wasn't that amazing? You know, and do you remember the, the time that we couldn't build this building? We didn't have enough money, but, you know, these builders for Christ came from Alabama and a bunch of contractors and said, we want to build you a church. <laughs> that, I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. But you, you begin to remind yourself of what God has done for you, and then you can trust him going forward because you know if he's been good in the past, he'll be good in the future. He's promised that. But there are those that just walk around so defeated. Do you know someone like that? You ask them consistently week after week how they're doing, and the answer was something like, well, I'm alive, I guess. That's attractive to the world. So were they. (laughs) I could be worse off, I suppose. They start sounding like that, what's that donkey's name, Eeyore? Yeah. (laughs) I'm still breathing, aren't I? Where's the excitement? Where's the joy of the Lord in your life? Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.